Hello, and welcome to the 40 Drinks Podcast. Most people start feeling an ick as they approach age 40, like one or more aspects of their life doesn't quite fit anymore, and they don't know what to do about it. I'm Stephanie McLaughlin, and oh boy, have I been there and made a mess of that. (laughs) But having 40 drinks with 40 people over the course of a year helped me escape the influence of that ick. On this podcast, I welcome you to tap into my stories and experience, as well as those of my guests, to help you emerge from the ick and maybe even avoid some of the mistakes we made along the way. Today, my guest is Sandy Demarest, a fellow New Hampshire resident and a friend of my previous guest, Emily Aborn. After Emily and I talked for the podcast in episode 32, she told me I had to meet her friend Sandy, who had a transition that I hadn't encountered before. You see, what wasn't working in Sandy's life in her late 30s was the actual geographical place that she lived in. Despite her best efforts to make it work over the course of more than a decade, she became unhappy enough that her state of mind was affecting her entire family. She and her husband decided to uproot themselves from the place they had been living for about a decade and start over again three hours away. And as she was driving the U-Haul to the new house, Sandy found herself wondering, and worrying, what if it's not better there? Hi, Sandy. Thanks for joining me on the 40 Drinks Podcast. Hi, Stephanie. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. It's my pleasure to have you here because it's not often I get to talk to another New Hampshireite. Oh, okay. You're right here (laughs) with me in New Hampshire. And I read somewhere recently that there are people in the country, parts of the country that think that New Hampshire is a made up place. I don't know what kind of article that was, but I, of course I had to guffaw. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. One time I said I was from New Hampshire and they're like, is that a state? I'm like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Just because we're little doesn't mean you can count us out. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I'm also thrilled to have you here because you are a friend of my previous guest, Emily, who is also a fellow New Hampshireite, and she connected us. So I'm thrilled to make this connection. Oh, thank you. I love Emily. Yes, I'm very excited that she connected us. Yeah, me me too. You have a very interesting story that we're going to get right into. Although I focus on that 35 to 45 kind of range and the big transition, I find that we have to take a few steps back to set up where you were. So I like to call it your formative adult years. Take us back to your late 20s. And where were you then? Perfect place to start. I was in Connecticut, in Fairfield County, Connecticut. I was newly married, happy, blissful, all was good with my husband, except we were renting and we're like, oh, it might be fun to buy a house someday. And that started the conversation because at that point in the late 80s, the average price of a house was a million dollars. And we're like, okay, I'm not sure this is going to work. And then we just, yeah, we just started thinking about it. We both grew up there. We didn't know each other growing up. We had met, you know, a few years prior to that, but we thought, what if there's another place? Maybe we could try something new. We sort of had this sense of adventure. We weren't at that time sure where that was going to be. But we had recently gone up to Burlington, Vermont to visit high school friends of mine who live there. And we had so much fun. It was winter. We cross-country skied. They showed us all around. We had a ball. And we came home and we're like, wow, 
what if we could live there? And that's what started sort of our conversation to move to the Burlington, Vermont area. And so we did. We didn't go that day, that week. (laughs) We thought about it a little bit. We talked it through some. We both love New England. We like winter. My husband likes winter a little more than I do, but I thought this would be fun. It'd be an adventure. So he found a job. I didn't, but I thought, I can find a job super easily. When we get up there, I will find a job. Up we went in January and it was two feet of snow the day after we moved in and it was really winter. And I'm thinking, whoa, what are we doing? (laughs) Not really, but it was challenging. Sure. So yes, we moved into a small town outside of Burlington. We rented an apartment. It was upstairs of a Cape Cod house. It was very small, but we were like, oh, this is awesome. So we were really energized. We were super excited. We didn't have much of a plan. My husband did have a job, but it was a hundred percent commission job and I had no job. So we had very little money. We had some savings, but not a lot. We just thought we can do this. We'll just make this work. And so we did. I started looking for work. My husband is very determined and he was a financial advisor. So every single night I could hear him on the phone long ago, you know, no computers. He wasn't out networking. He was cold calling. And I was like, wow, I couldn't even stand to listen because I'd hear him on the phone and I'd hear him hang up. Anyways, he survived that and he started to slowly build his clientele. I was looking for a job. I was super tired. I thought it was from the move. Ding, ding, ding. And then I found out, oh, I'm pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) I won't go into all the details except that my doctor in Connecticut said it may take me a while to get pregnant. Well, apparently it didn't. (laughs) So I then was pregnant. I got a part-time job and we were in enjoying life, but there were definitely some financial stresses, but we thought it's beautiful up here. We were right near Lake Champlain. It was gorgeous. And so we slowly made a transition from an apartment. Then we bought a condo, then we bought a house. And in between all of that, I got pregnant again and we had twins. So (laughs) (laughs) I didn't go into the middle part. I also had a couple of miscarriages in between. There was a lot happening there. And I was pretty busy with kids, as you can imagine. So when we moved into our house, I was excited. It was our first home and I was really proud of it. I started getting this little nagging feeling like, hmm, this is fun up here, but there was something about it. I just never felt at home. So I think the novelty maybe wore off. I was busy with kids and then I just felt the winters were long it was dark. It's one of the cloudiest cities in the country, which I didn't know. I felt really isolated. We were 50 minutes outside of New York City. So I wanted to move, but I started, all these things were coming together. I just had a really hard time making friends. Yeah, I've never had that my entire life. I feel like I make friends quite easily. I would meet a few people and I did eventually make a couple really good friends, but I just didn't feel like I really clicked with people. I didn't feel like the sense of community. There was a lot missing for me. And so I just really wasn't sure. I started thinking, is this really where I want to be for the rest of my life? (laughs) Wow. That's so. So for those who aren't familiar with the area, Burlington, Vermont is as quintessentially adorable and New England Mm -hmm. as you can get. It's a funky little city in the middle of a rural state. It's on a lake and it's got this cool little downtown with shops and restaurants and bars and breweries. Like it's Mm -hmm. a hip place to be. And I think even back then it was pretty hip, right? 
mean, it was, it was always it, progressive. Yeah, it was very progressive. It was also a college town. I actually ended up working at one of the colleges later on. So it was. So that's what went through my head. I'm like, oh, I'm right. in this really cool, hip place. Right. I should like it. Right. <laughs> What's wrong with me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that did go through my mind. Mm -hmm. And the other thing, too, and I laughed right at the beginning of the story. You said you went up to visit some friends in the winter and you had this glorious time. And then you moved in and the day after it snowed two feet. Where I am in New Hampshire, and I think where you are, we're not on a big lake, so we don't have that lake effect snow. But there is a difference between a visit to New England in the winter, which can be so magical and glorious and just uh, quaint and all of the things that you think it's going to be. And living here, the reality of it is so different. And, and winter is long, whether it's a winter with a ton of snow or whether mm -hmm. it's a winter with no snow and just brutal cold. I mean, we get a solid six months of winter around here. Whereas in Connecticut, it's a little bit more moderate. You're further oh, south totally. by a couple yes. hundred miles. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely more moderate. And actually here in New Hampshire, Southern New Hampshire is, I don't know if you might not call it moderate, but there was a difference between here and Burlington, Vermont. A huge difference. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I have so, family it, just north of Burlington. And I know okay. for a fact the difference. As a matter of fact, my aunt and my cousin, whenever they're making a trip in those six months of the year, and they never would come this way in the middle of the winter, but you always have to worry about the weather in the mountains mm -hmm, between right. here and there. So yes, compared to Burlington, I suppose we do have it moderate. Although you're right, I would not call it moderate. <laughs> right, right. Well, I laugh because my next door neighbor who, when we actually well, I'm sort of jumping ahead, but when we moved to this area, she was from New Jersey. We walked our kids up to the bus stop and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I feel like we're living in the tropics. She's like, what are you talking yeah. about? And it's not quite like that, but it felt sunnier. It felt yeah. like there was definitely more light for me. And that was a big piece for me. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and truly it's funny. And we're sort of going off on a bit of a winter in New England tangent, but you definitely see people around here in Southern New Hampshire who, you know, it just snowed and they're out in shorts and they're drinking their iced coffees. I know those things are memes, but they are the truth. Oh, they are the truth. <laughs> they they definitely are. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So let's go back. We're in Burlington. You're now in your early 30s and you've got, surprise, three kids and winter is longer than you had anticipated. It's more intense than you had anticipated. It's darker than you had anticipated. And tell me about how you're feeling about settling into the Burlington area. You've touched on it, but go a little deeper. I actually felt pretty lonely there. I mean, I saw people. I, you know, took the kids to school. I chatted with people. I don't know. I just didn't feel, for whatever reason, I did not feel that I fit in. And I yeah. felt like I met a lot of people that actually moved up there from similar places to where I did. And I thought, well, that's really, that'll be kind of cool. But right. a lot of the people moved up there to get away from everything. I'm very social. I wanted to sort of have a group of friends. And so I just felt a bit lost. And I also did have three kids. So there probably was that cabin fever effect, mm -hmm. which I guess I could have had that in New Hampshire as well. But yeah. I think when you put all of that together, I didn't feel like it was the place for me. If I had a crystal ball and I said, I need to be here for five years and then we're going to move someplace else, that would have been okay with me. A couple of my sort of strengths are positivity and futuristic. So I'm mm -hmm. always kind of looking 
to sort of the what's next. And when I thought there isn't one, and this is where we're going to be for the next however many years, I really sort of became depressed mm -hmm. about it. And the darkness didn't help. So, and again, never had any of these feelings before. They were like new feelings for me. And I was concerned in my husband, great guy, very sort of happy-go-lucky, but here he is, three kids, a wife, a house, a job, 100% commission. So his whole goal is just to work as hard as I can and support my family, which he did. He worked two jobs. He worked like crazy. He did really well with it. So he sort of understood how I felt, but then not really. He was out and about. He was around right. people and doing his thing, and I was not really in my happy place. You could have cabin fever 12 months of the year because of the little kids, right? right. And I like loved having the kids and I loved yeah. being a mom. Yeah. But yeah. there was always like, think of a puzzle. There was always a couple pieces missing out of that puzzle. And I think, think for me, the isolation piece was probably the hardest for mm -hmm. me. Okay. So I started thinking I had this gnawing feeling and actually then it became a loud voice in my head. I have this a lot. I'm very in tune to feelings that I have and it would be like, why are you here? You need to move. <laughs> and I'd start thinking these thoughts and I thought, oh my gosh, Russ, he's finally starting to get clients and things are going well. He'd have to start over. I don't right. know how this would happen. So I have these feelings. We'd have a conversation. He'd sort of understand, but be like, yeah, I just don't know. That would be almost impossible. And I'd mm -hmm. like, I know. It's very conflicted. I said, I know. You're right. So then I'd say, okay. So I'd get sort of going and find some things to do. And I would try new things. And I started doing different activities, thinking, okay, this will be it. And it was sort of it for a few months. Um, maybe a year. This went on for like three or four years, this internal struggle that yeah. I had. And it was really difficult. And so I thought, I'll just make it work. But I couldn't. I just felt like a huge disconnection. And it was really creating sort of some unhappy feelings for me. Well, I think at some point your husband kind of stepped in because he said that your state of mind was kind of affecting the family. Right? It was. It definitely yeah. was. I think early on, when I first started having these feelings, I could sort of just go through it and be like, oh, okay, yay, let's just do this. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, then eventually I did. I became very unhappy. Every day he'd come home, and I tend to be a, quite a positive person, and he'd come home at the end of the day, and I would just be like withdrawn, just not myself. Some days I'd be crying and then I'm like, but it's okay. It's okay. But no, really it wasn't. And I think it just started impacting our whole family. You know, if I'm not happy and I'm taking care of the kids, it impacts everybody. It impacts every part of your life. So yeah. I just knew that I couldn't be there. And I think he finally said, yeah, I agree, but this is what has to happen. We can't just pick up and go anywhere. And I love New England. I wanted to still be in New England. I didn't really know where. He said it needs to be within driving distance from Burlington. And it's going to take some time because I need to slowly at least get some clients. And then I would also want to be able to come back up to Burlington because I now have these clients and I still want right. to take care of them. Right. So initially we thought Boston, Boston area, that was the initial plan. And then he started going down there. He worked for a company where they had many locations. So we went down to outside of Boston and he came back to Burlington, like totally depressed. <laughs> he goes, those were like all the reasons, like really fun place to go, but it's too congested, too many people. 
that's why we left Connecticut. So then he found an office in Bedford, New Hampshire, and mm -hmm. he started feeling a bit more optimistic. He was still a little skeptical, but he was working it and started to build his clientele. And that probably took about a year. And then we decided, okay, we're going to do it. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. Financially, it's going to be difficult. We have three kids. The younger two are twins and they were young enough where I don't think it really mattered that much to them. But my older daughter was nine mm -hmm. and she had friends in our neighborhood in mm -hmm. Vermont that she had a great time with. So she was feeling like, oh, this is not going to be great. And my husband, though, he did go for it. I still worried. I kind of thought, okay, here I'm like, yes, I'm moving the family to New Hampshire. And I right. wasn't really moving them, but it, I was really pretty instrumental in this decision. You were kind of driving the bus there. I was driving the bus. And actually, as we were driving the U-Haul, not the bus, I was thinking that. In my mind, I'm thinking, okay, what if it's not better there. What yeah. if it takes five years to build this business and we're barely surviving? What if my daughter can't make friends? And so I had a lot of what ifs, but then I also had the, I don't know why, I just believe it's going to be better for us. I guess I go, I think it's going to be better for me perhaps. And I feel like I'm going to be happier because I had explored the area. We did a lot more researching and planning and talking to people. I actually knew a few people who were living in the Southern New Hampshire area. So that I think was also helpful. We did not really do a whole lot of that when we moved to Burlington. So we moved on down and I truly feel like it was about six months and I started to feel like really at home. I had met some people and it wasn't like everything was fitting perfectly in place, but it was just a different feeling. I felt like much more alive. I felt more energized. I was feeling like I was getting the Sandy positivity back and my kids were in school and there were some challenges like getting my older daughter sort of transitioned in and meeting people. She was very shy. So there were some challenges. My husband, definitely there were some financial challenges, but he actually started to feel like there is so much more as far as business down this way than there was in Burlington, Vermont. Mm -hmm. It is, it's quaint, it's adorable, it's a nice little city, but business-wise, there's not nearly as much up there. So he started feeling that same feeling of positive energy as well, yeah. which was awesome. How long would it take you to drive between your new house and your old house? Three hours. Three hours. <laughs> so they're not wildly that far away from no, each other. They're no. not wildly that different in character. We're still in New England. It's still the same broad culture, let's call it. Mm. But you didn't move from Manhattan to a farm. So how can you describe the difference between point A and point B for you? I'm just trying to explore this for people who are listening, who might be feeling maybe some of the things you did when you were living in Burlington, but second guessing themselves or telling themselves like you did for many years, no, 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 I'll just try the next event, activity, sport, group, meeting, organization. Yes, what else can I try? <laughs> right, 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 right. How would you describe the difference for you in feeling between Burlington and your so home in New Hampshire? So change for me was sense of community. Now, I'm not saying maybe you live in the Burlington area and you could find that. I don't sure. know why. I couldn't. We live in a town called Amherst, New Hampshire. And 
just in a very short period of time, I just felt very connected. I felt a part of the community, which I know for me is something that's really important. When I don't have that, it really impacts me. I guess I always knew that, but it became abundantly clear with this whole experience. I just met a lot of friends. There was just something about it. Maybe it was, well, I lived in a small town outside of Burlington as well, but Mm -hmm. it was that very like small town feel that community and accessibility to so much more. So I always thought, in an hour, we could go to Boston. In an hour, we could go to the beach. In an hour, we can go to the mountains. Burlington, it's a nice little city. I did sort of mm-hmm. miss sort of the downtown piece at times, <laughs> I have mm-hmm. to say. Yeah. But it was sort of those two pieces. And I guess it all comes down to, I didn't feel as isolated. I felt more connected. I felt a part of the community. Those yeah. to me had friends, met people easily, just felt like I yep. fit in. And like I said, I like winter. My husband loves winter, so that might have been one of the other things. I like winter until March. March in Burlington was a terrible <laughs> month for me. March in New Hampshire isn't perfect either, but um, oh, I was going to say March in New England. Is pretty, March is pretty never tough. great, yeah, yeah, because it's like it should not be winter anymore, but it still yeah. is. But yeah. I wouldn't say it was just the weather piece. I mean, that added to it. It was that feeling. I'm a person that connection and relationships is mm-hmm. pretty much everything for me. And I just didn't have that. So there was a lot of, I'd be around people and I still felt lonely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's something in my brain. It's an imperfect connection, but I always say when you walk into like a Marshall's or any one of their stores, you can go ahead and try and force it and just buy stuff. Mm -hmm. But for me, there's some days when you walk in and you're like, oh, they had my stuff today. They had Mm -hmm. the clothes that fit me. They were the right style, right? Whatever truck came in last Tuesday, it had my stuff on it. Right, right. Yes. And it's Mm -hmm. a lot like you're saying, right? It's a great place and there's great stuff for other people, but it just Mm -hmm. wasn't a a good fit for you. I think that's it. And it's so funny. I still come across people down here, way down here in Southern New Hampshire (laughs) that I say, you still live in Burlington. Oh my gosh, you're so lucky. I've always wanted to live there. Why did you move? (laughs) That it's like, well, I don't know. Do you really want to know the whole story? But yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. So it's just like a preference. And then, you know, probably because I did have three young kids and you start thinking about where do I want to raise my family? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't there. Yep. Not that yep. I thought it was a bad place for the kids. It was just, I would not be happy there. I'm sure it was a great yep. place for the kids. Well, I'm also right. reminded of the advice that one of his uncles gave my husband, which was, and I've seen this on one of these little plaques in people's kitchens, but it's like, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I know that's always meant tongue in cheek, but there is some wisdom there, right? If, yeah. If you're the, the driving heart of the household and you're miserable, then how successful and happy can the household be? Right. Happy wife, happy life was something else right. long ago I used to hear, but yes. Right. And I think my husband, he might've said, similar words to that one day when he finally decided that we need to do something about this and it needs to be a big thing like a move. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the messy part really, because I can imagine there must have been just downright fear of, Mm -hmm. well, what if we move and nothing Mm -hmm. changes? Right. There was that part of me that thought that there was a bigger part of me that it was going to be different, but I didn't know it was the unknown. And you're right. It was messy and transitions they're always messy. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not, they're not quick either. It's not just today I'm here and I'm X and tomorrow I'm there and I'm Y. There's a process. There's a pathway you got to get through to get from one side. 
it's rarely, I don't want to say never, I believe it's rarely a straight line. There's right. twists and turns and curves and hills and potholes. Right. And so the end yep. result, it's been great, but it took a while to really get to the place physically yeah. and emotionally. Yeah. What gave you the courage to make the move? Just knowing, I mean, this sounds sort of dramatic, but knowing that I tried everything for me and I wasn't going to be happy there. And I felt like for me, there really wasn't another option. So I think just knowing that there's someplace else for us, and I knew I could be happy. I'm not an unhappy person. So I just right. knew that if it had some of those right ingredients that I'd be happy. But it took a while. It wasn't like I had the courage immediately. I guess I felt bad for my husband too. I felt like this is going to be hard for him. And I mean, it could be hard for me, but it's going to be harder for him. Right. So then I thought maybe we shouldn't do this. So yeah, so there was a lot of back and forth. I mean, we weren't counseling about it too. Yeah, it was, yeah. There was right. a lot to it. What happens if you move to New Hampshire and you're happy but he's not, yes. or he can't find a way to build a business here enough to mm. sustain a family. I mean, right. Yeah. There's a lot right. of unknown Because houses there. are more expensive and we bought a house and there was that right. worry for sure. Ironically, I don't think he'll ever leave the state of New Hampshire. <laughs> <laughs> Does he still go back to Burlington for business at all? Or has he shed most of those clients? He still goes back. It's more virtual now. He has okay. shed a lot of the clients. There's a younger advisor who lives in the Burlington area, but for a long time, he would go every couple months and he loves to go back to visit there, but he yeah. definitely loves living here more. Yeah, that's great. So it turned out that it took a lot of courage, a lot of gumption, and probably a lot of ready aim before you fired, <laughs> but it turned out that it was the right move for your family. It definitely was the right move for our family. Yes, yes. But it took a lot of work, took some time. And it's funny you say courage because I don't know if I thought of it as that way, but you're right. It did take courage for sure. Yeah. And just to tie in the whole timetable here, you moved to New Hampshire when you were 40, right? Mm-hmm. So yes. it was exactly during this period of transition. Right. Yes. 40. Big things <laughs> happen at 40. <laughs> Life is filled with change and transition. Yeah. Some of the other things were I did get back into working and career mm -hmm. around 40 when we moved to New Hampshire. Everything just brightened up for me. Everything yeah. was brighter. I was excited to go find a job. At this point, my three kids, all of them were in school full time. I didn't have cabin fever. Yeah, just a lot of things opened up. But I do think the whole move was the big piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, then you did step into a career in higher ed. Is that right? Secondary ed. Actually, yes. I was in higher ed in Burlington for a while too. Okay. But okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Because that was another transition for you, although it was a little bit later. You had been working in education for a while and then you decided that that also was not a happy place for you. <laughs> There's a theme here, huh? <laughs> well, there is. And actually, I'm interested in the theme and yeah. what you've done in your life, what choices you've made, things you had to do to continue to find happy. Yes. And so some of my unhappiness with, it wasn't necessarily education. It was more the situation and sure. the place where I was and some dysfunction in the organization. And I also probably somewhere really deep down had a very entrepreneurial spirit, which I don't know if I knew when I was younger. So that was after 40, but in my 40s, I just decided that I wanted to leave 
the comfort <laughs> and the frustration and the complications. And the safety. And the safety. Oh, the yes. safety. Absolutely. Yes. And so then I went off on my own. Hi, we'll get back to that story in just a moment. This is where I usually interrupt to ask you to look down at your phone and either rate or share the podcast. And I will always love it if you do that. But today I want to tell you about a two page guide that I created that will help you diagnose whether you or someone you love is suffering from the ick. It's not always so clear cut. So this guide outlines the symptoms and red flags associated with the ick. You can download it from my website, 40drinks.com slash ick. Spell out the word 40, so that's 40drinks.com slash I-C-K. All right, back to Sandy, who talks about finding her purpose at a young age with the help of a beloved mentor. I've had a lot of transitions in life. I am sort of a creature of change, I will say that. I'm very tied to purpose and values, and so I think that's probably a common thread in all of this, in where I want to live, who I want to be with, being connected, how I want to spend my time at work. I have a strong purpose and value-oriented way about me that if there's a misalignment, I am misaligned. Mm. Mm. And you feel it. I feel it really strongly. Yes. Mm. Yeah. That is definitely a common thread with me. Mm. Mm. And interestingly enough, you know, you learn things after it happens when you make the change. I thought, oh, education, I love helping students. And I did. I love that part. But I found I was really, I've never really made this connection. I almost had cabin fever in the workplace because mm. I felt like I couldn't get out and do what I really wanted to do. My creativity was a bit stifled. So I wanted to break free, <laughs> whether in the place, in the house, in the job, and just get out and really be able to use all those, I guess, the gifts that I think I have that I yeah. want to explore more. When did you know you had a purpose and when did you identify what that purpose was? Is this something you've always known? Very interesting. I think I learned it in my very first job when I was 22 years old, my first career-focused job after college. I had an amazing boss and mentor who I just learned a great deal from. He was 71. I was 22. There was clearly a huge age difference. And we had a lot of deep conversation. He started a new career at 71. That didn't happen at all in the 80s, no. especially. No, it didn't. <laughs> and somehow he inspired me. And through our conversations and what I was doing, I was in a nonprofit at that point. And it was just that clear sense of helping people move forward and figure out what they really want and make their life better. And that sort of has been my purpose as well as creating community. His name was Ray. I call him my Ray of Sunshine. And oh, I um, love that. Yeah. So he he's very important to me. He's no longer here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I often hear in my head, what, what would Ray say? What would Ray do? <laughs> oh. Yeah. So I think that purpose, it started at a fairly young age, not as yeah. a child, but it's always been there. And that was the beginning, the foundation of when I discovered my purpose. Interesting. That's mm. for me, one of those things that I wonder if discovering your purpose that early is common, because mm -hmm. I think a lot of us just sort of put our heads down and keep 
doing the things we're supposed to be doing and following the path we're supposed Mm -hmm. to be on and doing all the things that should make us successful, right? I know for me, it wasn't until my 30s somewhere that I really started wondering what is my purpose Mm -hmm. and started looking for that and talking to different people, whether it be psychics or There was some gal I spent some time with who was a very talented tarot reader because I wasn't finding it inside of me. So Mm -hmm. I kept looking for people to give me signs as to what it was. Uh I think the anecdotal evidence I've seen is that it's sometime in their 30s or 40s, people sort of wake up Mm -hmm. and realize they have a purpose and pick their head up off the path and kind of see the bigger picture. I think that's really true. I think in our younger years, often it's almost... Like we're on autopilot, we're just yeah. kind of going through it, doing it. And then you get to that point where you start really wondering, you know, what's my purpose? And we need to disable <laughs> autopilot and get more intentional about what really is most meaningful and important to me. Yeah. yeah. So th- I wanted to dig into that around your experience because I could envision so many people feeling what you felt in Burlington mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and not knowing right? Because at least you knew you had a purpose. At least you knew that community was important to you Mm -hmm. and you Mm -hmm. weren't finding community there. Mm -hmm. And for years you looked for it. You tried every gosh darn thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So somebody else who is feeling the way you were feeling, but isn't connected to their own purpose or their Mm -hmm. own vision, how would they find their way out of that box? Mm. Yeah, definitely challenging. Because I think even though part of me said I should like it here, I felt I did have a purpose and I knew the pieces that were missing. And so I think that would be helpful. But yeah, if you don't have that and not that you can't find it and we find it in so many different ways. And sometimes even at your most sort of lost kind of adrift place, I was laughing, not laughing at you, but laughing. I was like, it didn't come internally. I was out there trying to find my purpose. Like someone's going to hand you a box, right? Open it up. This will have your purpose inside. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. But I think it's one of those questions that people struggle with, I think, because sometimes we think it has to be something really big, like purpose. And I guess for me, what's most important, what's most meaningful. And so I think it's through those maybe times when you feel a bit of drift that you can start going inside and sort of really reflecting, I guess. Yeah. There are people I know who, and I don't know if they would describe this as their purpose or not, but I know someone whose sort of main goal was, I want to be wealthy. And I don't know if that was a a reaction to a childhood experience or whatever. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But for me, I look at that person and I say, oh my God, that would be wonderful to know that clearly, because then it's like being at the racetrack and just chasing the bunny. It's like every Mm -hmm. decision, there's a clear answer. Does that take me closer to it or further Mm. away? Right. right? right. And so, oh, I I was envious Mm -hmm. of that goal, even though it's not something that resonated for me at all. Right, right, right. Where I feel like mine is so much messier and I never know if I'm getting closer or further away. (laughs) So yeah, you can find a purpose by accident, a purpose by just realizing what are the things that you like. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be profound. You love volunteering at the animal shelter. Your purpose may be something about animals or animal welfare, right? Like it could be that obvious. Right. Yeah. I've loved to walk the dog since I was a kid. (laughs) 
<laughs> Absolutely. They say like big P and little P and the big P might be the really profound one, like this huge right. cause and the smaller one might just be, yeah, I love animals and I want to do something with animals or whatever that might be. I want to yeah. create community and be part of community. I always say, what is it that's going to get you up and out of bed and excited on a Monday morning? There was nothing right. doing that for me in Burlington. <laughs> no, it was my children. Right. I shouldn't say it. Of my course. children got me up and out of bed in the morning, but right. yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. But beyond your children, right? Because you need to have yeah. something beyond your children. Otherwise your whole life is your children. And that's a lot of pressure to put on them. Oh, totally. Yeah. And I love working and using all these other skills and I have all these other interests outside of my children. That's important to me. So you ultimately ended up starting your own business. I did. Mm -hmm. I support people midlife and beyond. So around 40-ish and up, help them to really figure out what's next, how to navigate your next most meaningful chapter. My business started more specifically as career coaching in 2009. There's been many evolutions, which of course would be true with me as we've learned. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it was strictly career coaching. Now it's a bit more a combination of career and life. You know, what are you looking for next? What's missing? What is something that's going to energize you? How are you going to make the most of the years ahead? in a way that feels really aligned with who you are and your values at this point, because that might be completely different now than it was 10 years ago. So that's through coaching and retreats. And I am co-authoring a book, Midlife, New Life, Living Consciously in the Second Half. It's something I love because I do, I feel like I can relate, number one. And I have people come in who feel, I used the word adrift before because one woman recently said that to me. And she goes, I know I have more to give and more to do, but I just don't know what that is. I don't have that purpose. I'm not sure what the purpose is. So I love helping people. We do a lot of self-discovery and you kind of see them light up when they figure it out. And I just find it very satisfying because yeah. I feel we've all experienced loss and difficult times. Life is short. So let's make the most of whatever that time is, you know, let's make the most of it. It's really important to me. Yeah. So this same period of transition that I like to focus on, you are helping people through that and, mm -hmm. and beyond. Can you share with the listeners some ideas for how to do some of that self-discovery? What kind of tips or exercises or thought exercises might you suggest for somebody who is lost? Mm. Wow. Okay. That could go in all different directions, but pick one, pick um, your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's two that come to mind. Number one would be on a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle, um, vertically. And on one side is what do I want to move away from? And the other one is what do I want to move towards? You don't need a purpose statement, but it just, I think helps like maybe that autopilot, like these are the things I'm doing because I should be doing. And these are more of the things that maybe I want more of, or I don't have, and it's more of the wants. This is what I want to move towards. And there's always a little bit of that reality check with that. So I think that can be a great starting point. And then I also think people, whatever age you are, just start taking each decade, 20s, 30s, 40s, wherever you are, 50s. And what was a dream that you had in that decade? And then have you achieved that? Or where are you in that? Because I think it just sometimes it's that writing things down in that visual where you think, oh, gosh, remember when I was 30? I really wanted this, this yeah. thing to happen and it yeah. didn't. And now I'm 45. Let me think. Could that still happen? Or do I still right. want that to happen? It's a lot of taking sort of those dreams or those thoughts or things that you wanted that had been pushed to the very back burner and start bringing them 
to the front. And then there's always that reality. Is this something that I still really want? And what would it take to make it happen? Okay. I'm going to press further. And this is from my own experience. Okay. What if you don't know even what you want? Mm -hmm. What if you're so mired in the should or mired in the autopilot or closed down, you know, spiritually that you don't know what you want? How do you mm -hmm. even start, you know, cause it's like, ah, I want, you know, I want a great house. I want to make a ton of money. I want, I want yeah. things to so, be easy. So right. I would start and it's hard to do in this format, but I would have somebody go through some values work. Like some of that's just a list of values and then go through and don't even relate it to like what you're doing. Like just say, okay, this is like a deal breaker. This is most important for me. I need to be helping other people. I need to be connected. Um, I have to be intellectually stimulated. I'm just pulling things out of the hat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, health is like the, the most important thing. So those become those pieces that you value more than anything. So once we do that, we can look at what does that mean to you? Define that to me. My idea of helping other people could be completely different than yours. And so what does that look like? It becomes a process. It's hard just to say in the next five minutes, this is what you can do, but it's right. starting to go a little bit deeper into what is most important, what matters to me the most. And then we can look at how might that sort of translate into a something, an activity or a job or part of your life. But it's that whole importance and meaning piece, because I think that's what we really all want. We want to know that things matter and that we're doing those things that matter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think there's one other thing I would add to that. And, okay. and again, from my own experience mm -hmm. of not knowing the what I want. And I'm going to go back to a, an old coach I worked with a million years ago. There was an exercise that he would say, if I asked you to drive from here to San Francisco, could you do it? Sure. Yeah. And he said, well, what about if I asked you to do it at night? Mm. Well, sure. Okay. But the thing about doing it at night is that all you can see is the 200 feet illuminated by your headlights. Mm. Right. And mm -hmm. while you can have a plan, I could have a route mapped out. I won't know until I get to St. Louis, whether there's construction, whether there's mm, traffic, mm -hmm, whether I mm -hmm. need to go around the city north or around the city south. I won't know until I get to Route 66 that this part of it's closed and I'm going to have to take a detour. So when you're on a journey, there are broad goals you can start with. And then as you move toward them, Things come into focus along the way that sure. help you elaborate on the picture, the route, the path, whatever you want to call it. So right, right. you may not know, especially if you're someone who, like me, couldn't have said, I want X, mm -hmm. um, other than real obvious markers of success. I couldn't have enunciated anything internal. It's a process. and It's and totally you... a process. I think for everybody, and that's a perfect example that you just gave, because as you go through each piece of this process, it's like the peeling of the onion. You peel off a layer and then this little aha comes up, something that you hadn't envisioned initially. And then you might go through another few weeks and when I start helping people, they start noticing just little things that they weren't noticing before. Mm -hmm. And as you continue on the journey and you learn more about yourself, there's more clarity and a little bit more and more focus. That whole driving across the country was a perfect way to say that. <laughs> I love it. Thanks. <laughs> I've co-opted it as my own from a coach I no longer work with. Uh, One of the last things that you just touched on that I've talked about before is awareness. 
mm-hmm. is becoming aware. Mm-hmm. Once you start asking the questions, you start becoming aware of answers that maybe you had glossed over or, or driven right by in the past. Mm-hmm. And as you have a broad word or term or feeling you want to work towards, and you've got that in your mind, you then start becoming aware of the things that are taking you closer to it or moving you further away from it. So Right. And um, so, yeah. So when you're on in that autopilot mode, because you're so busy just doing all the things you're supposed to be doing, we tend to not be as aware. Yeah. You just follow the map that was the laid map. out in front of you. Yeah. So I think that awareness and noticing is yeah a very important step. Wonderful. Yeah. So Well, Sandy, before we go, I know as you and I talk today, you are tucked away working diligently on your book. Do you know when it will be out? Hopefully fall of this year, fall 2023, okay. October maybe November. I'm co-authoring up two other people. Speaking of journeys and process, <laughs> it's been a long one. It started in 2019. So I am quite excited and happy for this to be published. So yes. Wonderful. And it's called Midlife New Life. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yes. Wonderful. Well, I thank you so much for being with me today and for being so generous with your story. Oh, well, thank you. It was very fun. It was really nice to talk to you. Great. Take care. You too. Thanks so much for listening today. I thought this was such an interesting take on the theme of something's not right with my life and I don't know how to fix it. Most of my guests have faced something more internal, mental, emotional, spiritual, and some of them have had to burn their lives down to the ground and start over again. But Sandy's story demonstrates that sometimes it's just a single element that's causing that hitch in your giddy-up. Making that one change, scary as it may be, might be all it takes to get back to smooth sailing. Place is so important. If we don't feel comfortable or at home where we are, how can we find the peace and internal calm we need to be our best or do our best? Patrick and I play a little game whenever we travel anywhere. We think about whether we'd want to have a mythical second home in that location. We're always looking for where our place is. I have family, many family members who have deep connections with different places. Both of my brothers and their wives love a certain lake in Vermont. Um, Two of my aunts and their families love a different lake in New Hampshire. And another aunt and uncle have visited the same Caribbean island every winter for decades. So Patrick and I always think about fit and feel and vibe when we travel. Some places we enjoy, but don't feel those personal connections to. We absolutely loved our trip to Iceland, but we've never discussed having the mythical second home there. Other places, like Portland, Maine, which is less than 90 minutes from where we live, feels like home to us. Every time we go there, we wander and wonder which neighborhood our condo will be in. Currently, the front runner for the location of our mythical second home is Key West, and I'd be curious to hear where yours would be. But coming at the concept of place from a different direction, <laughs> pun intended, there's the somewhat dubious concept of ley lines, which are thought to be a pattern of energies around the earth. Now, don't go digging too deeply into the concept because you'll encounter aliens and spaceships pretty quickly. (laughs) But I like the concept as a thought exercise because I believe in energy and vibration. So whether ley lines are a worldwide network of energy connecting landmarks, 
or whether there's something about certain places that resonates well with our personal energy, it's true that some places can feel inexplicably really good to us, like Portland, Maine does for my husband and me. And some places can feel inexplicably icky to us, as Burlington, Vermont did for Sandy. All right, next week, you're going to meet one of the rock stars in the podcasting world, Mr. Larry Roberts, who I met at the PodFest conference this winter. When I told him about 40 drinks and my focus on the transitions around turning 40, he immediately said to me, I cried when I turned 40 and I knew I wanted him on the show. He's got a great 40 story that I look forward to sharing with you. So I'll see you next week. The 40 Drinks Podcast is produced and presented by Savoir Faire Marketing Communications. 